choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes, set the foundation for your success, get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. All right, well, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. Uh, you got with us today, the Knucklehead Steven. Uh, I like calling myself that just because it, it just hurts when other people call you that, but it's okay. So when I call myself the Knucklehead, it actually sounds a little bit better for, for some reason, but I'm excited because uh, we have uh, we have Sean Martin here with us. Sean, uh, engineer, turned entrepreneur, uh, best-selling author, rocketing up to the New York Times bestseller list. Although he might tell you that he only published his book like a week and a half ago. Don't listen to a word he says. He's a very successful author in his own right. So, Sean, welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Stephen. And yeah, I've got a rocket strapped to my back. There's just no fuel in it right now. But, uh, you know, we'll get, we'll get to that point. Uh, hey, soon. Success is when opportunity and preparedness meet. Somebody's prepared. Okay, that opportunity means somebody's, it's going to come across somebody's desk. And uh, what is it? It's Hack Your Hiring, right? That's the name of your book. That's right. That's right. The, the full title, I guess, the, uh, the, the longer title is Hack Your Hiring, the Tactical Playbook to Find, Evaluate, and Hire A-plus Talent, which probably is a bit of a weird book uh, to come from somebody who has a software engineering background, uh, but uh, it's, it's definitely something I am definitely passionate about. Engineering, or excuse me, engineer turned entrepreneur, um, Sean Martin with us today. I'm excited about, first of all, I don't think it's too long of a title. I just, I, I just stopped listening after like the sixth word, just because I'm a little bit of a knuckle dragger myself. Uh, but you got my attention with hacker hiring, so I, I know that I've screwed up. Some, I know I've screwed up some hires in the past. So uh, again, so if you're a first-time listener out there, listen. Uh, here's what we started Knucklehead for, and, and here's why we have um, bold risk takers like Sean on the show. Um, we 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 are kind of in an odd time in the in this world where you have to uh, present a certain expertise, a certain sophistication, a certain polish. And quite frankly, the expectation is, is if you don't possess one of those, then you better come from a long line of pedigree or uh, excuse me, a long line of successful folks or a successful family. You must know the right people. You got to be well networked in order to make some things happen. And quite frankly, all of that experience just left a really sour taste in my mouth. I mean, not one of us, even those that come from that, have it all buttoned up and figured out. I mean, knucklehead, literally, we, we cut our teeth on the on the fact that we were just going to guerrilla style start shooting shooting some videos and piecing together some content, and it really just came from a standpoint of hey, don't be a beta, don't don't be beta, just go out there, make some mistakes, you're gonna screw up, and in that process, I got a chance to meet somebody like Sean, uh, like type A dynamic leader, uh, really buttoned up, and you'll notice that over the course of this podcast, and I'm excited. That's why I'm excited to have him on, but. How many people do you know that that already have some steps outlined for them, where they're they're in a career, they're they are leading teams, they're kick a button taking names, and then you know what they decide to say, um, you know, I think I'm just going to bag all that and start my own thing. Because that's what we have with us today, and that's why I'm excited to have Sean on the show. So Sean, um, tell us a little bit about. I mean, you didn't overnight trip into this into this. Uh, Let's um, start a business. So I, I want to hear. I want to hear about how you arrived at this decision, man. What brought you to wanting to, to start your own thing? Sure, man. Uh, so you know, the, the long and short version of it is, uh, you know, I, I grew up in uh, Central Pennsylvania, a small town called Carlisle, less than twenty thousand people. Grew up there. Uh, product of you know very typical middle class, you know, uh, married parents, older brother. 
I loved growing up in Carlisle. I uh, also felt like I was a little sheltered and didn't live, wasn't living exactly the life, wasn't exposed to the things that, that I wanted to be exposed to. So come time I'm 18, I uh, moved down to Florida, went to Florida State uh, to, for school on a full academic scholarship. Uh, spent, yeah, that's right, doing Knowles. Love that Florida State football. They don't really love me as much these days, but there's not some giving. That's exactly right. That's, I mean, it is what it is. They come. I went to the University of Nebraska, so I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Maybe Taggart and Frost. It, it could be we were rekindling. It could be the the preview of the 2022 national championship. I doubt it, but you know, hey, you never I'm, know. I'm the eternal optimist, and you know, I think about it like not long, not much more than. Five years ago, I was in Pasadena, California, watching the national championship game with Jameis Winston, you know, leading that comeback drive. And I was, you know, sitting in the end zone, one of the best days of my life watching that game. So anything is possible for sure. But uh, yeah, very, so very much so. So as like I said, grew up in Carlisle uh, in Pennsylvania and went to Florida State uh, to backtrack just a little bit. Around the time I was 12 or so, uh, my dad uh, retired Air Force. Uh, you know, was working as a systems analyst for a big corporation. We had computers around the house all the time. We lived kind of out in the boonies away from, you know, where a lot of my friends lived and stuff like that. And, you know, I started getting into and getting interested in programming because I spent, I said, a lot of time at home. You know, I wasn't spending a lot of time going over to friends' houses and hanging out with them. So I, I needed something that I could do solo. And, uh, you know, my parents were always very supportive of various hobbies and activities and things that I was interested in. So they would start buying me books on coding, on HTML, JavaScript, C, C++. I know a lot of this sounds like just a lot of letters oh, thrown together yeah, right now. Yeah, no, but <laughs> your, your parents brought you, bought you these books. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. I, uh, That's incredible. What, what, okay, so because you showed an interest or because they were like, listen, we know where this is going. We're going to train yeah. our son to just know how to connect everything. That I mean, the whole world's connected now through all of this stuff. And I don't even know how to spell HTML. I mean, it just, I yeah. just can't do it. <laughs> Well, uh, no, I, I honestly, it, it, I don't think that it was ever because of, you know, we're going to raise a successful, you know, you know, hyper successful kid. It was just something that I said, look, I, I really want to do this. I want to learn about this. And, you know, back in 1994, you know, I, I think you and I are on the same age. I was 12 years old in 1994. This is back before it was cool to start coding as yep. a preteen, right? Yep. And, and there wasn't widespread internet access. There wasn't Wikipedia. There wasn't all these things. So I said, you know, I want to build websites. I want to learn how to set up this website. I want to learn how to code. And, you know, I, I can't even count the number of times we went to this place. Uh, we have it in the Northeast. I'm not sure if it's widespread. It's called Ollie's Discount Warehouse. And think of like something the size of Costco or Walmart where they have everything that's like a year or two out of style, right? They've got clothes and toys and books and all these things. And we would go over there and, and they would buy me these. Like if you've seen them, I know we're all on Kindles and stuff now, but you've seen these computer books from, you know, back in the day, they are teach yourself C++ in 21 days is the title of a book. And they are weapon size, you know, oh, like yeah. it's a blunt issue, right. Absolutely. They have CDs in the back and things like that. And they would buy me those. And then, like I said, they might be a, a year or two out of date, but just super valuable to me. And I just was self-taught learning how to code like those web coding and whatnot. So went through that. Uh, got accepted in the AP class for coding uh, as a junior uh, wow. in high school, took some dual enrollment, went through college, you know, uh, just getting really into coding. And, and you know, I, I always like to joke that I never had to have one of those, uh, you know, customary retail or, or like food service, service industry jobs. Right. And I feel, I feel very fortunate for that, which is why I always tip really well. 
Um, but I've always worked with tech. And you know, fast forward, you know, 10 years in Florida, moved to Austin uh, back in uh, 2011. It's been just over eight years here in Austin. You and said full academic scholarship at Florida State. Did you, I mean, were you kind of uh, honing your craft and, and doing side projects on the side with tech and, and getting paid for yeah. it while you were in school too? Or was that just something that you used to come stumbled across? I, I was. That wasn't what got me the scholarship. I, I was a very good test taker. I got the National Merit Scholarship. Uh, did really well on the PSAT. Uh, second time around, I took it. Uh, got like a like a SAT equivalent fourteen sixty on the PSAT. Did really well on the uh, the writing section, which is like a third piece of that. And so I was a National Merit Scholar. Got a full ride to Florida State, which was amazing. I was doing side projects. By the time I was thirteen, I was uh, building websites as a freelancer for companies, some local companies, some who like operated globally, and that was really cool. To, you know, put some extra cash in my pocket. Uh, and then around 16, I started uh, working at the uh, local newspaper. I was the first uh, high school kid they ever had work in the newsroom. I was doing web design for their website, uh, the uh, Penn State fan website that they had set up for Penn State football, really big in Pennsylvania, obviously. Uh, yeah, so so that was you know that, that was like my my sort of journey in tech, realizing that oh wow, I can make money doing this. And you know, even moving forward for many years, I stuck with it because I knew it would be a promising career, uh, regardless 100%. of how passionate I was about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and here and there, I would I would pick that passion back up uh, and really get into developing and learning and, and growing and, and doing more in that industry. But uh, for you know, there are periods for sure where I just knew I was good at it, and that was important enough. That, so that, okay, that's that's really I think it's a really good place to land here. One because. When I think of somebody who's really good at something, I think of uh, an individual contributor, either a sales guy or, let's just say, a sports analogy. Maybe you're a tennis player. You don't you don't necessarily think of an individual performer um, highlighting that being like a tight end on a football team, right? You, you think of them as a very a good contributor uh, in a team, you know, in a team environment. So, as an engineer, somebody who's really really focused, I mean, really showing their value by being able to craft. Uh, black and white letters or, you know, I guess binary, I don't even, I mean, see, I'm going to screw all this <laughs> up, but all of that stuff, that's, that's somebody who's focused on their computer, focused on what it is that they're doing. How do you, how do you function as a team that way? If you have, I mean, if you're a coder built up of people that are just, they're, they're so focused on what it is that they're doing this right in front of them in terms of the, the computer screen and, and doing that, how do you function as a team? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a really good point. And, Something that I've learned, you know, over and over again over the years is that I love your sports analogy, especially if you're talking about like a tight end on a football team. Coding, software engineering, a lot of these things that people view as a pure science is really a craft, which I consider a craft to be something that has elements of art and science to it. Like I can sit down and I can write code all day long for you, but it may not be exactly what you want. It may not solve the problem you need to solve. It may be overly verbose, you could write the war and peace version of code and it doesn't do what you needed to do. And you could have done it in, you know, a couple hundred lines of code. So that collaboration and that, you know, bouncing ideas off of one another, you know, sharing of that knowledge, that is really what I've seen works best in successful engineering cultures are areas where people can share knowledge, teach one another. You basically lift each other up as opposed to the stereotype of sitting in a cubicle and you know you're just hammering away on code, and you never talk to anybody. Obviously, there's a lot of that that exists, and there are a lot of engineers who enjoy and prefer that. That has not been my experience with the most successful engineering cultures and engineering teams. 
that I've been a part of, uh, especially, you know, eventually became more of a leader yeah. of engineers. Well, I can imagine that, I can imagine that that was, um, that was quite the change. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's really cool that you were able to kind of go through that and embrace that transition. Uh, what was, what was it like going from, you know, a producer where you're, you are, you know, doing the collaboration, essentially kind of not necessarily taking marching orders, but, you know, having, um, having a task to do, you're kind of task oriented in that way. How, what was that transition like in order to come up with your own set of tasks or come up with your own project and help people kind of creatively or innovatively get to uh, that desired goal as a leader? I, I, what was that like? Yes. I mean, I would say before I was ever in Austin, I had a few opportunities to lead teams and to help drive a team towards a goal, but it really was whenever I you know, became sort of a more full-time team lead. And I realized that I, maybe I had some of these leadership skills that I could start to sharpen uh, where I started getting really obsessed with the business side of things as well. And you don't often see that either in engineers. I mean, yep. we definitely exist, but a lot of times they're just like, tell me what to do. I'll do the thing. I'll deliver the ticket, whatever. And for me, you know, at the last company that I was at, and I was there for about seven years, I really started getting obsessed, not with what do you want me to build, but what's the point? Right. Right. What's the why? What value is this going to bring? And so then I, I could then communicate that to the team of engineers. You know, there's that office space joke with that, that, that guy, Bob, and he's like, I take the requirements from the customers again with the engineers because they're not good with people. But in a lot of ways, it's kind of what <laughs> I love that does in this situation. Like, oh, it's amazing. They're, they're terrible with people. And then he starts like freaking out. It's like, I'm a people you, person. What is I, yeah. wrong with you people? Yeah. yeah. So, but it was very much, it was very much that. And I've always been obsessed with, you know, business and entrepreneurship. You know, I joke, and, and my, my mother and I joke about this all the time. When I was in fifth grade, uh, I took the Ricola cough drops from the closet at home and I'd take them into class and I'd sell them to my classmates for like 25 cents a piece. That was Good my first you. entrepreneurial experience. Good for you. And I, got, I love it. I got totally busted for that. And the teacher had to discipline me, but at the same time, she, and my mom were like laughing behind everybody else's back. So I was always obsessed with business and I wanted to make sure I could lead teams of engineers to make sure that the work they were doing mattered. All right. So this is, this is knucklehead. This is knucklehead. So some, some people are going to go, all right, well, let's talk about some of the mistakes. Right. And I'm kind of in that, but you got to have a story where you were leading people that were kind of like that, but they were more, they were more interested in the, I guess the task, like, go ahead and just give it to me. I don't, I don't want the concept. I don't care about the business goal. Just give me the task. And here you are strategizing, painting a picture, being a big picture concept. And, and people are just eyes are glazed over. Do you got a story like that? Do you got a story where you kind of, you're like, Oh geez, I probably shouldn't have done that. I've, I've got tons of stories like that. Um, generally speaking, um, God, how do I even address it? So I've, I've got a good story as a hiring manager. So, you know, okay. my last job before I left, I, I went from, you know, engineer, team lead, manager, executive. And as an executive, you know, hiring was really a challenge for me, which is why I'm now in the space that I'm in. Uh, and I remember we had an engineer that we had hired and I wasn't directly managing her. Somebody else was super bright, did really well in interviews, got along with everybody who had met her. And when she got on site and she started working, she just, she wasn't working the way we wanted her to necessarily. She wasn't checking her code with other people. She wasn't making sure she's following best practices. She, you know, there were things that were just an issue and we talked with her about this. And, you know, we ended up having to eventually let her go because things just weren't clicking. And she was, she was positive that she, she was doing just fine. And her claim was, I did a bunch of tickets. I closed a bunch of tickets. And the purpose wasn't to close a bunch of tickets. It was to deliver value to the business 
based on the intent of what the, you know, what those tickets are sure. and what those tasks were. And that, you know, as a hiring manager really like was an eye-opening experience for me because we didn't evaluate during the time of interviewing and, and you know, evaluating her, whether she understood the point of the job and the goals of the job, sure. right? It wasn't just about cranking out code. Anybody can do that. It was about providing value. And so that's one experience to where we didn't set expectations the way that we really should have. Shades of gray is a great way to set yourself up for uh, a little bit of heartburn later in the process. Um, It's interesting. You mentioned that particular story about a hiring manager. There's a a buddy of mine I just talked to a few weeks back and he was hired onto a position where there was uh, essentially he wrote his own job description, right? He wrote his own job description uh, came in, performed with the expectation minimally of what what was expected for that particular role, even with his job description. What was crazy is, is through that process, he was able to provide uh, some tangible value within the framework of that job description, but then started to kind of skirt outside of it a little bit because, again, he wrote his own job description. So it was not clear. There was no left, what I call left and right lateral limits or even taskers to even show milestones along the way that you were making iterative steps towards eventually what the ultimate value was for that particular role. And eventually the business was like, well, it's not, it's not really going to work. And so he's no longer there. It's crazy. It's crazy how that happens, but it's really interesting how much of a disconnect sometimes there is between planning, writing it down, going out and then searching for that talent and then uh, coming back. That must be why you wrote the book, Hack Your Hiring, or does that have anything to do with it? Yeah. It is. It is. And it <laughs> happens all the time. It happens all the time because so many smaller companies, especially, they're just not clear on what a role is. I talked with a friend, this is a real short story. I talked to a friend just the other day. He's been interviewing for a few roles and he looked at the role description, what was expected of it. And then he went and he interviewed with like three or four different people. And every single one of those people was interviewing from him for what they thought the job was and what they wanted it to be, not what it actually written. was. Funny how that works. And happens all the time. You know, somebody thinks it's a manager, so they ask you manager questions. The next person thinks that you're going to be a database administrator, so they ask you a bunch of technical questions. And it happens all the time. There's just a lack of structure in the whole evaluation and recruiting process. It, it really is a is a painful area of business. And uh, you know, for better or worse, for my first business, it, it is an area that I'm uh, you know I'm trying to tackle. That's awesome. Well, good for you. All right, so. Tell people a little bit about what you're doing now and how people can find you and how to get Hack Your Hiring, insert sure. subtitle afterwards, that, the name <laughs> yeah. of that book. <laughs> Just can tell people sure. about what you're doing now. Absolutely. So, uh, so you know, I left my, uh, I'm not sure when exactly we're going to publish it or you're going to publish this, but uh, I left my full-time uh, employment in uh, March of 2018. And, okay. uh, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do next. I ended up starting a business in, uh, in June of 2018 called Rebase. And I won't go into the, uh, the the driver behind the name of the business, but Rebase was really focused on just helping to helping leaders of small and growing companies to better attract, acquire, and retain great talent. Got it. And so that's basically what the company's focused on now. There's coaching, training, uh, information products, all these sorts of things. Basically, just helping people solve this problem that nobody's ever trained them to solve. Sure. Uh, you know, a friend of mine said the other day that there's no college degree with recruiting in the title. That's right. Exactly so. Right. Most of us wing it. So the things that I learned, all the mistakes that I made over the years, all the research I did, when I realized that I wasn't a good recruiter and good hiring manager, the natural curiosity me took over and I just, I had to understand it better. So I worked for years and years until we started getting good at it. I started building a machine that would actually recruit really, really well. So 
So that's uh, the company. And you can find uh, Rebase on most social media as at Rebase HQ. Rebase is R-E-B-A-S-E. So at Rebase HQ. Uh, the book is Hack Your Hiring, the tactical playbook to find, evaluate, and hire A-plus talent. I uh, decided to write that um, back in September. And it is a very uh, no-fluff, very tactical book, which is how I was able to put it together in about five months. Um, and it just published that at the end of last year. Uh, again, it, this is for people who feel like they've tried everything and nothing is working. Well, this book will show you that you haven't tried everything and maybe it'll give you some new ideas and some experiments to try. It's available on Amazon uh, in print and Kindle. And the audio book is forthcoming. I just submitted it and it's being reviewed right now. Um, and then as far as if you want to find me personally and you don't give a damn about uh, the business, I'm uh, at Sean P. Martin on most social media. It's S-H-A-U-N, the right way to spell it. There you go, um, Sean. It's Sean P. Martin. And then on Facebook, uh, I'm slightly different. It's at Martin Sean P. It, the other one was not available at the time. But uh, yeah, I hope you guys will check out the book. I'm really proud of it. And, you know, this. They said, the hiring space, hiring is not an activity that I really love doing. And I don't know that it is an activity that too many people really love doing, but it is sure. a difficult challenge that if we can help solve it for people who are really struggling with it, I think yeah. that the, the amount of change that can be made is just astronomical. Well, I mean, yeah, the tires are, that's a huge, it's a huge deal. I mean, you got wasted, I mean, literally wasted revenue and training days. Uh, I mean, taking your eye off the prize to help onboard folks is, uh, and, and if it doesn't click, re, I mean, Miss Hires are, they're, they're a, a colossal pain in the butt. Absolutely. Uh, that's all there and is most, to it. Most companies take forever to hire. And then yeah. on top of that, you've got the even more painful and even more expensive hiring mistake. And I've made hiring mistakes myself. I'm sure most hiring managers have. Uh, there's a, a great book called Who, which was written about 10 years ago. Sure. And they say that about 50% of the time, hiring managers make the wrong call. 50% of the time. And then depending on who you talk to, uh, there's a you know old business genius who's since passed named uh, Peter Drucker, who he said that a hiring mistake can cost up to 15 times that person's annual salary because they are, they're worsening lost your culture. Yeah, yeah, yep. Lost productivity. There's the work they should have been doing that they're not doing. There's yep. other people who end up leaving because they get disenfranchised. There, there's, it, it can be poison truly for a culture. So a hiring mistake is even worse. But if you're trying to hire great talent and it takes you six months to evaluate somebody, companies who are better at it are going to hire that person in six weeks. So, right, so you're, you're the last, the last, the last company that you were. I don't mean to jump in here. It's just there's something that yeah. just keeps on like bubbling up for me, and that is, uh, and I, I might be putting you on the spot here, so uh, roll with it just a little bit. So the the A players that you refer to, not just in your book, but just in your experience, the ones that you want to attract. Um, how is it that they want to stay? You know, why, why, why don't they just, if they're attracted to what it is that you're doing, why don't they just go out and do it themselves? That's, that's where I am kind of struggling in some cases going, what, what is it that, that keeps that person? Obviously there's the base and there is that culture, but what is it that keeps people from just going out and doing their own thing and building their own teams? To, to me, it's that sense of team and community and being surrounded by other really intelligent, hungry, humble people. 
Uh, you know, there, there's been nothing that's been more humbling to me in starting my own business than having to do a lot of things on your own, you know, and having that team around you. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a saying that's pretty prevalent in hiring circles and it's always hire somebody who is better than you at at least one tangible thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I hire somebody who's a crack front end web developer and I'm terrible at that, they're going to teach me something about that. If I'm a great accountant, but I'm not great at a certain aspect of accounting and I hire somebody who may not be better than me at anything else, but they're better than me at that one thing. Like we continue to kind of learn from each other and everybody up levels. And I, I think that really plays a role. And we had very good tenure, you know, at my last company, uh, I was very proud of that. Uh, you know, we would hire some kids straight out of college and they would stay with us five, six years and then go on to work for the Facebooks and Googles of the world. And I, I think it, a lot of it was because they liked coming into work every day and they liked the people they worked with, not because they could, you know, have a beer with them and, and hang out and shoot the shit, but because everybody was really intelligent, everybody was really driven, and you were constantly pushing and supporting each other. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a, a really cool business. For those of you who don't know, uh, you happen to take a look at Rebase and find a little bit about Sean. There's there's a lot in his background that uh, uh, the company is what, what it was a lot a lot because of uh, the work that he was doing and the people that he helped uh, bring there. So, uh, really Thank cool you. business. I appreciate that. It's a great compliment. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Well, it's a um, really cool business. So, anyway, with that said, Sean, any parting thoughts? Any last things? Any 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 plugs? Any uh, pearls of wisdom that we can leave with uh, the Knucklehead crew? You know, I was listening to other episodes of your podcast, and I was thinking about what what my answer to this question would be. And you know, all the missteps and mistakes, and you know, little failures that I've had, big failures I've had over the past you know seven eight months. I think for me parting nugget of wisdom would be to find your team. And that doesn't mean it has to be like a professional team, but if you have, if you want to start a business or you want to grow a business, make sure you have a co-founder, make sure you have a spouse or a partner or your close friends, like know who those people are and identify them because entrepreneurship for as much as it's touted as this wonderful, amazing things these days is extremely lonely. It is a very isolated path. And if you do not have those people who you can lean on when you need to lean on them, and those people who you can vent to and need to vent to or just bounce ideas off of, then it becomes even lonelier. So find that team in your life that will support you. You know, I, I, I said it a million times. I think that the team that goes through hell together becomes the best team possible. So you need those people. So find them. You don't know how, uh, for those of you who are listening, you don't know how right on that is. That's, that's, that's somebody who's experienced, um, those lonely, I mean, quite frankly, when you're staring at the screen writing code and it's two o'clock in the morning and you're like, I can't sleep and I'm sitting there, I got this deadline. I mean, it, it's, uh, it is very good. And I, and I don't even know how to, like I said, I don't even know how to spell HTML. So I'm, I, I don't speak from experience from a coding side, uh, but I speak from experience from a lot of other, uh, ex a lot of other crazy things, uh, like almost, uh, almost, running my family into the ground, almost losing my wife, my kids, um, having her want to leave. It's, um, it's running away clients because you're emotionally, uh, you lack the maturity that you should have if you run a business and you're going out there, putting yourself out there. Uh, so anyway, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Having somebody else out there to, uh, what I call put the left and right lateral limits, essentially the framework for how you make decisions and how you actually provide value to businesses always it, i mean it's it's invaluable to just have somebody as a sounding board to uh bounce things off of and make things better iterative change nothing's, 
no significant achievement in my mind was ever accomplished by one person. So you always have those other people that have contributed, even if they weren't the driving creative force behind it. So I totally agree. hundred percent, man. Well, I like the way that you said, uh, I mean, a couple, there's quite a few nuggets. I wrote a couple things down through the course of, of, uh, of the conversation, but I, I like how you, you honed in on the fact that, um, this, this, I don't want to say the skill, the craft, the difference between, excuse me, having a little bit of art, and a little bit of science, uh, yeah. in every single instance where I've worked with a team of engineers in every single instance, somebody who says, yeah, I got it. It's almost like the two to three questions that follow the statement. I got it is so critical in most, ca- in most cases, they're not asked And those two to three questions. That's where the biggest, biggest disconnect start. And then it's just like being a couple, a couple, a couple degrees off. Whenever you leave on a boat going from New York to London, you can end up in, you know, Africa if you're off. Yep. It's a, a few bit. assumptions that people make that they shouldn't have made, and you almost can't blame them for making them. But that ends up, you know, you spend weeks or months and hundreds of thousands of dollars building something that nobody wants. That's a that's a mistake that can't happen. So uh, anyway, John, I appreciate you, man. Listen. Uh, it's been an honor having you on the show. Love having you on the show. My pleasure. Uh, Rebase is uh, is your business. Uh, for those of you who are knuckle draggers like myself, R E B A S E H Q dot com. Is that right? Rebase HQ. Uh, it's it's at Rebase HQ on social. The website, which is a little out of date, so I'm working on that, is uh, Rebase dot C C. Got it's it. Letter C twice. All right, uh, but so. yeah, on social media, it's all Rebase HQ. Got it. So check your socials. Not. Not the website. Check the social platforms yeah. first. All right. So, <laughs> hack your hiring with Sean uh, with Sean Martin. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, listen, you can listen to Knucklehead Podcast. Uh, come out with a new episode every Tuesday. This particular episode, uh, there's going to be a little code on there in our in our notes. You can go check it out. You can go check out his book. You can get in touch with Sean directly. And if you're if you're resonating with this message, if you're a, if you're a a business that's like, you know what, I ju- we only got ten employees. This next hire is so critical. We got to get this right. Hey, this you're talking to somebody who is a senior lead uh, at, at an engineer, as an engineer uh, at a firm that he stated at 10 years. And from what I know about this business, uh, millions and millions of dollars have been poured into uh, this organization because of how good the product is. So a lot of it has to do with his work. So you'd be, you'd be helping yourself out tremendously by reaching out. Uh, socials, rebate. Don't go to his website because apparently it's outdated. But. <laughs> it's not outdated. It's just not I, up to date. I know. Um, it's all, it's all good. It's not yeah, good, man. Please we'll reach out. Yeah. In just a chat. Uh, you know, this is something, this is a passion of mine when you're a small business. Like you said, your 11th hire is way more critical to your success than your 111th hire or your 1,000th hire. So you know, finding the right person to get quickly before that person is scooped up somewhere else is something that I, I truly am confident in. 100%. Well, that's awesome. Um, guys, that's my podcast. Instagram at Knucklehead Podcast, LinkedIn and, uh, and Facebook we're Knucklehead Promotion. So you can find us uh, anywhere there. So or excuse me, you can find us there. So appreciate your time, Sean. Thank you, Steven. Absolutely, bud. Get some wins, guys. Take care.